This is the Word of God from the household of David Church. It is a message designed to raise men after God's own heart. Listen and be blessed. Are you ready this morning? So receive God's Word. We are God's servants here. We have um, a minister of God that we are so privileged to have here with us. Hallelujah. We have Reverend Vida Ligard with us. Put your hands together. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yeah. Reverend Ligard and his wife, Catherine Ligard, are the directors of Rema Bible Training College, Kenya. And they are both graduates from RBTC, that's Rema Bible Training College, in 2001 and 2002. And in 2006, after completing their bachelor, a master's degree in engineering and church uh, business at Ora Robert University. They located to Kenya to pioneer a Bible school that equips pastors and leaders in rural areas of East Africa. Hallelujah. Today, with the help of a national team, they oversee this across Kenya. Their main focus is training and transforming people with God's word in a way that affects their everyday life and gives them tools to transform their communities. Their ministry is empowering Kenya government officials, doctors, church leaders, and community leaders from the country's urban areas to the Somalia border. They are working on opening a book distributor center, book distribution center, conducting business and entrepreneurship seminars, hosting ministry conferences, and carrying the gospel message to the unreached areas. Reverend Vida and his wife, Catherine, together with their young children, Lisa, Anna, and Sarah. Wonderful. They reside in Nairobi, Kenya, East Africa. How many people have been to Kenya here? You've, you've been to Kenya? Oh, you don't like Kenya here. <laughs> if I ask, how many people have been to Ghana here? Uh -huh. They are our brothers. What about Kenya? <laughs> Even if you just enter Kenya Airways, going somewhere else. That's your hand. At least, okay, just <laughs> very few people. How are you, sir? Hallelujah. All right. We are so blessed this morning. First service was wonderful. It was a Bible. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe I should say this that uh, since this is second service, I think we are alive more now. <laughs> uh, he doesn't like a quiet church. All right? So are we ready to respond? Are we ready to shout, Amen, Hallelujah, most save the world? Amen. Amen. So get ready this morning as we have another great moment in God's word. Um, we are so blessed to have this man of God here with us this morning. And right away we're bringing the word of God to receive God's servant, God's minister, the legard. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Well, I trust some of us enjoyed the first service. <clears throat> praise God. Thank you, Pastor Shola. Then you all may be seated. I come with greetings from Kenneth Hagan. He said when you travel to Lagos, make sure you, you greet everybody there. So greetings from, from Pastor Kenneth Hagan. My wife. Or Grant Tooks. How many know you, you know Reverend Tooks? He's, he's been here. Some of you know him. Uh, we do have uh, Faith Foundations. It's a taste session. Taste 
taster session for, for Rhema here in Lagos. It's May 4th and 5th, I would believe that's Saturday and Sunday. May 4th and 5th. So if you wonder what this Bible college is all about, that's a way you can go have a taste of it without any commitment. So you just go there for that weekend and see what it's like. June 19 to 21st, there is also Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit meetings here, here in the city. So, uh, praise God. Hallelujah. A lot of great things are going on. Earlier this week, I was on the, on the Somali border. We have a campus out there as well. On campus, we have campus in Port Harcourt. thing is just spreading all over. The Word of God needs to penetrate everywhere. Last month, I was inside Congo DRC. We're looking at setting up campus. Praise God. Well, this is not about me and what we are doing. It's, it's about Christ and what He has done for us, what He is doing in us, and what He is doing through us. Did you come ready for the Word today? Yes, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. Faith that impacts society. That's what we'll be talking about this service. Faith that impacts society. In Hebrews chapter 11, the first verse, of course, this is the hall of faith. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. In the English language, we have the word faith or the word belief. It's the same Greek word, the word pistis. But here in English, we say, I believe it's going to rain. And when you start checking up on what they believe and ask, are, are you sure? They might, well, it kind of looks like it, but I'm not really sure, but I believe it's going to rain. In other words, in the English language, the word belief is not necessarily a very strong word. Faith, here we read, now faith is the assurance. It's a very strong, positive thing. And the conviction of things not seen. So faith then, is, it's a conviction, it's a deep or a strong belief based on what God has said. People are trying to believe God for things He didn't promise. You can't do that. The, the faith must be based. It's faith in God and the promise He has made. Abraham believed in the promise. That's how he had that son. You've got to know the promise. But it's an assurance that what God has said is true. Real Bible faith, that conviction is so strong and deeply seated that it will cause us to think, to speak, and to act differently. Faith is not necessarily a confession. Faith is not necessarily an action. It is a deep conviction that produces a confession. It is a deep conviction that causes us to act differently. Yes, where there is no confession, where there is no action, yes, that's true, there is no faith. Faith without works is dead. But that faith itself is a deep conviction. So you see, we have some people that are, some people that are faking an action, but there is no faith behind it, and they run into problems. Now, we have two testimonies where Jesus said, great faith. Let's look at those two real quick. Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 10. Matthew 8, verses 5 through 10. And when he had entered English Standard Version, when he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealed, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering, said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers unto one go, and he goes, and to another he come, and he comes. And to my servant do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled. 
And he said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that We see by the words of the, his faith. But now you, 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 you will also find that what he is saying is not some kind of a taught confession. You will not find anywhere in Scripture where people were putting on a taught confession. But in every story of faith in Scripture, confession is a natural outflow of belief. Are we together? So here he says, well, I'm under authority also. This is not, I believe my servant will be well. I believe my servant will be well. I believe my servant will be well. You don't find that there. But Jesus comments, this is great faith. And in fact, his faith is so great, he says, you don't need to come. Because I understand authority. I understand you have authority over sickness. I'm just asking you to exercise your authority. I'll go home and the servant be fine. And Jesus said, go home, it's all good. It's that simple. You know, when Jesus cursed the fig tree, and, and there in verse 23, you know, saying to the mountain and so forth, Jesus didn't go, I curse your fig tree, I curse your fig tree, I curse your fig tree, I curse your fig tree. Authority will issue command one time. And I asked the woman with the issue of blood, she kept saying, yes. But again, it wasn't a learned confession. She was convinced in accordance with what she already believed in her heart. Faith is evidenced by our confession. Another story, Matthew chapter 15 is the other story. Where's your faith? Matthew 28. We're talking about faith that impacts society today. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter, my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer. His disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, she's crying out after us. He answered, I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Imagine somebody from Ghana came, not throwing bread to the dogs around here. It's quite rude. She said, Yes, Lord. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, Woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. In both cases, and in several other stories, we find that faith is an added take no for When Jesus teaches about prayer, you can find that in several, several of the cases he uses to teach on prayer. The attitude, no, is not an acceptable answer, is a component of faith. We call it the spirit of faith or the attitude of faith. When you have that attitude, some people won't like it because they don't understand it. Faith laughs at impossibilities. Faith laughs at... Another way I want to say that is the impossible is the playground of the believer. You know, there are times that circumstances come. You know, the, 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 the story of Jesus said, talking about building the house on the sand or on the rock, the same circumstances came to both of them. The circumstances of life, they come to everybody. What you do in the circumstances is a question. You know, yeah, though we walk through the valley of the shadow, walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The difference is some people, they put up camp there. You're supposed to walk through and say, the Lord is with me. 
Praise God. But you see, the impossible is the playground of the believer. So sometimes when, when there's me and, and maybe there's a financial problem and maybe there's a health problem and maybe other challenges with employing and so forth and so on, and I go, devil, that's a good one. I go, devil, is that your best shot? Is that all you got? Anything else you want to add? Because when we get done with this, the bigger the test you're bringing now, the bigger the testimony will be when I get finished with you. That's the attitude of faith. It's not fun when you're there in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death. But I know the one who lives in me, he is for me, he is with me, he is in me, and together we're going through. So I don't care what the circumstance is. In fact, if you will just increase the pressure a little bit, I'll have a better testimony to put in my preaching arsenal when I get done. I'm not afraid of the devil. I'm not afraid of problems. The greater one is in me. Every morning, I wake up with the realization the power of God, the love of God, the life of God is in me. You find some people that wake up in the morning and say, Oh Lord, will you be with us today? They don't know the scriptures at all. It says, He said, And lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. You can't pray, Lord, be with me when He's already in. That believer who don't know that they are. But the impossible is the playground of the believer. If you come to me with a project and say, This might be possible, I go, Meh, I'm not making If you come to me with something that can't, now you got more fun to do the impossible than to do the possible put yourself in a situation that requires you some people have dreams if you can accomplish that dream throw it out and get a dream because the dream that comes from God is going to be impossible for you to do go with that one I'm not talking about building a bigger castle and God asks you to build. But the dream from God will be bigger than possibility will allow. So we a number of years. And we know that without please Him. See, the faith walk is not how you start. Shall live. So we build a number of different campuses all over Kenya, different cities in the rural area. The boundary towards Somalia and lots of stories and different things. Now we're coming to Nairobi. And in Nairobi, you know, every preacher is like Lagos, every preacher. And so you don't get somebody's attention just because you show up because everybody's already been there. You understand? So it takes a little bit more to make a splash, so to, so to speak. We said, well, we're going into Nairobi, and, and Nairobi now is, is, is regarded as the number one city in all of Africa for international business. Google headquarters for Africa, IBM headquarters for Africa, Coca-Cola headquarters for Africa, all these multinational companies there right now. And so we have a business district in Nairobi with very high standards. And I come to find out there's not a lot of churches that have the building standard that the, these multinational corporations and I go, hey, we got to do something here. So we're going in there, and we don't have the money to go into one of those buildings because, of course, they're more expensive than anything else. Well, impossible. Good, I'm ready. So I know 
I talk with God, I know that's what we're supposed to do. It's impossible just because you want to do it. You, you walk with God. Faith God. It's not just coming up with something you want to do. But we're, what we're doing, what God's having us do, we're looking at different buildings, and I know in my heart we're supposed to go in this particular one, finally get a hold of the owner, and you have to put down a six-month deposit, and I don't even have close to that. Negotiate and get down it, and I said, all right, work, and I still don't have the money. We're opening campus on Saturday. This is now Thursday, about 10 days before. And students are starting to ask, where's campus going to be? And I tell my administrator, tell, her, t tell all the students it's in this building. I have no contract, nothing. But I know on the inside. See, faith is a conviction. You're so sure you're just doing this. Now, if you don't know that's faith, you're, you're about to shipwreck. You understand? But see, faith steps out under the aching void of nothingness with nothing but the promise of God underneath. So we tell everybody it's here. Thursday, about 10 days before, we negotiate with the owner, but we negotiate a super good deal, and other business people in the city are saying, well, the God on me is greater. So I say, send the paperwork, and there was one wall they were supposed to remove, and I'm, I'm looking over, and I'm starting to sweat. That's a pretty good-sized contract. You see, the natural flesh will start to sweat in the middle of impossibilities. And you see, this, the closer you get to that problem, the closer you get to the lion, it seems. It's easier to have faith against faith. The question is, do you have faith when you're five feet away from it? Some people quit halfway. Standing, but I know faith is a conviction. Let not your heart be troubled, Jesus said. Faith will work with doubts in the head, but it will not. So I'm doing what Abraham did in Romans chapter 4. Not weaken in faith, in verse 19, when he considered his own body, he was as good as dead. In some translations it says, when he considered his own, it says he considered not his own body. Oh, which one is right? They're both right, actually. If you look at the word considered here, it's talking about he was aware of without focusing on. He was aware. See, faith does not deny the natural circumstance. It's aware of it. So, oh, I need, God. I need God to supply money. How much do you need? I found out 90% of people can't even name the figure that they need. Well, if you can't identify the obje object that you're up against, you're afraid of it. Deny. There is no Goliath. There is no Goliath. No, he identified Goliath, but he's in a higher authority than the one he ran up against. So I did what Abraham did. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in faith as he gave glory to God. So this week, and the contract has come, and I'm wondering, oh, if I sign this thing, I'm responsible for it. See, doubts will come. Even though you're in the midst of a faith battle. But on the inside, I know I'm supposed to be giving glory to God. Glory to God. I go to bed at midnight at 1 o'clock and we're really tired because it's a small team and a lot of things that needs to be done when you're open again. I, physically, you're tired. I can't succumb. So at 1 a.m., I'm getting back up and what am I doing? I'm meditating. The, the thing that brought me faith in the first place needs to be re-meditated on so that the faith can remain strong. And in the middle of the night, I'm meditating on the Word. I'm meditating on the Word. And I'm speaking the Word. And I get to the point where I'm so excited. I'm, I'm dancing in the middle of the living room at 1 a.m. See, when you are convinced that God is doing what He said He will do, you will be excited. Real faith is always excited. If the excitement is gone, you need to go back and strengthen that faith. Because you're in trouble.
I said, Lord, is there anything I should do in the natural? He said, what would you do if you had the money? I said, that's easy. I'd sign the contract. Well, I signed the contract and sent it off. Now I'm really in trouble. <laughs> I said, okay, and I had enough money for two months deposit. Supposed to be four months. I said, you're supposed to take that wall out. Here's the Sunday the remaining. I didn't have the remaining. I only had two months. This is now Monday. We're opening school on Saturday. I told my administrator, contract is signed, tell everybody this is the floor number and the, and the particular room we're meeting in. It's a high-rise building in Nairobi, oversees the whole city. Beautiful place, glass building, top of the line, right next to Oracle, PricewaterhouseCoopers, and all this fun stuff. Glory! He's a good God! I have to maintain the conviction. Money came on Wednesday. Thursday, the last, and I didn't walk around telling everybody, I don't have the money, I don't have the money, I don't have the money. No, my trust is in God. I rely on Him. And I had said, we have the money for the venue and the chairs. That's what I said. Thursday, the money came. Gave them the rest of the money. They gave us the key. We cleaned up the place. Got the chairs and I went, wait a minute, need a podium. The money was gone. There was no money for a podium. I had to put the podium on a credit card. See, I had said I had the money for the venue and the chairs. You have what you say. School opened and the rest is history. Doing the impossible is fun. It's not always fun when you're in the middle of the battle, but it sure is fun to come in. Test and they want the testimony. It don't work that way. Now, in Hebrews chapter 10, Verse 36, it says, For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. A little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Listen, you don't start out the faith walk and then put the coat and hang it on the hanger. It's easy to, oh, God called me to do this. And then you use faith and you get to a particular level and there you rest the rest of your life. That's not okay. Faith does not shrink. So we're looking for new impossibilities to do in East Africa. Yeah. The God in me is greater than the impossibilities of this. Faith is not a tool to overcome the occasional problem people of faith, they live a lifestyle of faith and they keep on expanding and growing in influence throughout their entire life. Abraham, he grew up in Ur. Ur at the time was the world's largest city. It had a population of about 65,000 people. This is about 2,000 years before Christ. It was 0.1%. It would be like a city of 6 million people today. In today's day and age, you would have had to say that Abraham came from New York City. They, had a, they excavated and they found the library and it took 20 to empty the library in that place. You can go study this in secular. They had written history from 2,600 years before Christ. When Abraham was born, they had 600 years of written history in the city. Have you heard of the Code of Hammurabi? The laws of Hammurabi. The laws before the Code of Hammurabi that we learn about in world history in school. 
They had roads between cities, bilingual. They had postal service with stamps. The people lived in the city. Now, this is the number one indicator of how developed the country is. How many people live in the city? How many people live in the rural areas? Because if you don't have society, it means everybody trades, fishing and agriculture. Right? When you develop, then somebody else can start painting because the food is enough. Other trades that come out of that, and the more trades you get, the more people move into the city. 80% of people lived in the city in Ur, in that whole region. In America, it was the year 2000 before 80% of people lived in the city. That's how developed Abraham's place was. The houses there were two-story villas. They usually had 13 or 14 rooms. I'm not dreaming. I'm just reading secular history. If you don't believe it, go to Wikipedia. Look up Ur and Chaldea. That's all you got to do. There you can find different links and so forth. Military with chariots. But there was state religion. And the governor was also the priest. And they worshipped the sun, the moon, and the stars. God says, get out of here. Take your family with you. And this is now at the end of Genesis chapter 11. Terah started to go. Terah actually quit halfway. Terah came to the edge of civilization. Empire, but the edge of civilization. And he settled there in Haran. They were supposed to go to Canaan's land. But Terah quit. Faith the end of the story of Terah in the Bible. Then Abraham continued. Now, everybody wants to quote Genesis that Abraham was very rich in silver and cattle and gold. He came from the world's largest city, people, and he lived in a tent the rest of his life. There is no such thing as a life of faith that doesn't make sacrifices. There is no such thing as a life of faith that does not make sacrifices. One of our graduates has been Somalia inside the world's largest refugee camp. Half a million refugee Shabab is around there everywhere. They don't sleep in houses because a bullet can pen penetrate the wall at night. So they dig a hole about two feet deep and they sleep in a hole because if a bullet comes flying, it'll fly over the hole. He slept in a hole for two and a half years. Raymond graduate on the border to Somalia. He's a chaplain with the government of Kenya. Paul went through some rough stuff in order to get the gospel out someplace. Abraham went through some hardships in order to live in a tent when he was bilingual and he, let, he, he, he ended up living where there was no, nothing but nomads. No society, no development. Just It's the side of Abraham that doesn't get talked about. Are we together? So at 75, his daddy had stopped halfway in Haran and Abraham. When he's somewhere between 77 and 80 years old, the land is not enough to hold all of them. And then he tells Lot, nephew, there would be no Lot if it wasn't for what Abraham had done so far in the family. And he tells Lot, you pick the best land. And he's the bishop. He's the big preacher. Are we together? And he tells the little guy, you pick the best land. And if you don't get the best land, you die. 
when you're a nomad. If you don't get the water hole, you're dead. But see, he is so generous. See, Abraham's riches and generosity, and it wasn't all about giving it to Melchizedek. He gave some people, because that's now, those that don't honor the poor, God will not honor, the Bible says. Thank you for the quiet burst. <laughs> See, a true generous person, everybody. So Abraham is, is 80 years old. That's an old guy. Any people. Abraham is not in retirement mode. You don't find retirement in the Bible. People of faith that serve God their whole life. When he's 80 to 85, we're now in Genesis chapter 14. Lot is taken captive because he picked a bad spot to live Sodom and Gomorrah. What does Abraham do? He takes all in his house to carry a sword. 300 something of them. It means he has about a thousand employees. Men, women, children. You multiply by roughly three when you see numbers in the Bible. It's got roughly a thousand employees. It's a big operation. In Lot captive, he goes after him. Does he have to do this? Abraham doesn't have to do this. He can dwell secure where he's at. But see, people of faith makes this in order that other people will live a better life. People that believe God for their house, their car, vacation. I don't have a problem with believing God for that. But that's small thinking. That's very small thinking. It's nothing but selfishness if that's the only thing we're believing God for. Prosperity. I'm, li I'm living in a beautiful house right now. People go, how did that happen? Well, God did it. Business people wonder how that happened. God did it. So I believe in that. But I also believe in sending the gospel out on the border to Somalia. I was there on Monday. The United States has four levels of... of, of Warnings for different countries. Level four, do not travel. I didn't find that in the Bible. It said, go take the gospel everywhere. I'm going. We have a Bible college in a level four area. Glory. Why? Because the way you drive out darkness is not that you chase the darkness. You simply turn on the light and the darkness will go. Very simple. Light, darkness is out. You know, if you come into a room and there's dark in there, you don't, you don't try to gather up the darkness and spend all this energy and effort to try to get the darkness out. Now, the first question is, where's the light? Light switch or where's the torch? You focus on the answer, not the problem. When Abram is 99, he has walked with God for decades by now. And he is still not allowed to settle down. God changes his name from blessed father, Abram. Abraham. Now can you imagine? He has got more employees than we have people here today. And the guy is old, 99 years old. And he shows up to work Monday and says, Hey, you've been calling me blessed. I don't like that name anymore. God spoke to me and said, I'm father of nations. And you don't even have an heir. Now that's crazy. Can you imagine the stigma? Can you imagine all the employees chatter happening behind? 
I'm father of nations. I'm father of nations. I'm father of nations. But he ended up hearing it every single day. Within three months, Sarah is pregnant. He had to change the way he was thinking what was being said around there. I said he had to change the way he was thinking and what was being said around there. He started saying, I'm fine. Now in Genesis chapter 22, we have the story of Isaac being offered. We don't know exactly how old Abraham is, but if he's 100 years old when Isaac is born and the boy is about 15 years old or something, then Abraham would be 115. At 115, people have long ago and the kids are doing. Am I right? God says, I want your son. The best you got. What's the best you got? What's the best thing you got? House, family, car, whatever it is for you. What's the best you got? God says, I want that. Now, wait a minute. I have served you for three years, 40 years. We don't know exactly how long. And I want the best thing. See, a lot of people want their name, and the, there's not a lot of people that are willing to make the sacrifices that are required to put your name in there. Are we together today? See, this life is not about me being blessed. This life being a blessing to other people. If it's all about me being blessed and take off my head, I'll walk on streets of gold. God did not design the Christian life so that the day you're born again, you are raptured to heaven. No, we are here for a reason. And the reason that we are here, yes, he will experience his blessings. Thank God for all of that. But that is not our focus. Our focus is seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and just kind of automatically follow. Chasing wealth is selfishness. I'm talking about the Christian life. I'm talking about the kind of impact nations. The most influential person in Norwegian history. Norway is the place I originally come from. Norway, 250 years ago, it was the poorest country in all of Europe. You've got to look at DRC or sent on place like that compared to what Norway was 250 years ago. Today is the richest nation on earth. The government has so much money they don't know what to do with it. They're fighting over what to do with all the money they have in the parliament in Norway. Billions invested, owned by the government. But the most influential person in the history, he was a preacher. Even secular historians will say he's the most influential person in the, in the nation. 250 years ago, he went about preaching. He gave people Jesus. He also gave people work. You see, this guy who slept in that hole for two and a half years, he's responsible for border security. And these terrorists are trying to cross the border, and they're coming with a high stack of cash. And he has an opportunity to put the cash in his pocket in order to let the terrorists. It's tempting when you're living in a hole. You understand? Yes. 
but he's a person of faith, so he says no. And when his commander asks him, can you hold this money for us? He says, no, sir. Under authority, all right, but he's also, first of all. What if the commander doesn't like it? Well, that's his problem. That's the way the attitude of faith works. That's why they throw Daniel in the lion's den because he didn't care about what the king said when what the king said wasn't right. Are we together? You see, right living, you cannot live by faith unless you live in fellowship with God. And you cannot live in fellowship with God without ending up living right. Are we together? Well, conduct has a lot to do with our faith walk. So this preacher, he gave them Jesus and he gave them work ethic. Because the, the reason a nation is poor is a lack of work ethic amongst the people. So if you want a nation to come up, the only way to do it is to instill work. Getting out of the sling in the world, change your thinking and start working, you'll come out real quick. The people in the slum, they're sitting on their butt and they're watching television. Yeah, go to Kenya. Go find a slum. There's an antenna sticking shed in the whole place. Because they spend their time watching television in the slum. I don't have the answer. I've got the answer. It's in the Bible. But unless we change our thinking, which results in changed behavior, we will continue living in the same condition we have been living in. So he instilled work ethic in all the people, and it's known as the best work ethic in the world right now. It's started declining the last 30 years or so. I have a friend, and his friend is a, he is a ship owner. Norway has the largest fleet of ships around the world. The majority, it's about 30% of all ships on the oceans in the world is owned by a Norwegian owner. Wow. That's right. So this friend, he calls the yard, the shipyard, and says, build me another ship. Recently, no contract, nothing but one phone call. They start building, and then into that ship before he has even go to, gone to go visit to make sure that work is going on. That's honor. That's a lot of trust. It came about a preacher that is the most influential person in Norwegian history. Because a life of faith cannot be done without a life of conduct. Are we here? Yes, Let's stand up together. Faith that changes nations. It involves walking so closely with God, you go do the impossible. But it's also walking so closely with God when somebody gives you a stack of money and an opportunity that isn't right, you say, no, sir. Are we together? You do exploits. You see the power of God, but you also live right. Father, we thank you for your word. If you're here today, you say, I need to make some changes. Now's the time. Father, you know these help us to impact our communities, our neighbors, our workmates, those that haven't heard.
giving them the love of Jesus. We give you the praise and the glory. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor, it's been an honor. Thank you for listening to the teaching. We believe you have been blessed. Worship with us at David's Court, number 25 Mojidi Street, off Twin Street, Ikeja, Lagos. On Sundays, our first service starts by 8 a.m. and our second service by 10 a.m. While our midweek service starts by 7 p.m. on Wednesdays. Go and do great things. God bless you.